Kaz Brecker didn't need a reason. There are a lot of, of good quotes in there the are. first five chapters. There really are. The book we are covering, we are now covering Six of Crows. Also by Lee Bardugo. Welcome back to everyone to Two Mourners, One Book Club. I'm Em. And I'm Jordy. We just said we are going to cover uh, <laughs> Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo in this next book discussion. Installment. There you go. That's the, that's the correct word. Um, but we are both so jazzed to be doing this book. Yes. Um, it's in both our top five books, and the chapter that I just read from is probably my favorite chapter of any book I've read just because the character introduction is just so phenomenally so phenomenally good. done. I was rereading it and was just in awe of the way it was done. You just get such a perfect grasp of who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, so snaps to Lee Bardugo once again. Yes. Um, also, if you know if you didn't notice, I'm wearing my Six of Crows sweatshirt. I did notice. I clocked that immediately. Yes. So had to wear it to celebrate the start. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Sorry. Had to wear it to celebrate. You're not allowed to see me, Jordan. I'll see myself. <laughs> this is your house. <laughs> I know. I just drive away. Who knows where I'm going? <laughs> or if you come or from, if I come where did you go? <laughs> where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Anyway. Um, but we are really excited to get into Six of Crows. Um, and we have listened to our previous episodes. A lot of them were recorded before they were published. And so we are working out um, some of the things that we each could improve on. I don't think you could improve on anything. I'm just very <laughs> self-critical. I thought you were fantastic. So maybe just You're also thing- <laughs> fantastic. I think we're doing a great job. So hopefully this next installment will be better even though we're we're just going to get funnier. It's great. Yeah. We're and like a fine wine. I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> we will get started, I guess. Yeah, let's jump right into Six of Crows. All right. So, not going to lie. Chapter 1 starts off and you're like, "What the heck is going? <laughs> Where on? am I? Who are you?" <laughs> um, that's actually pretty yeah, that's pretty much how I felt the entire time reading it. Um, It is confusing, but it sets the stage as to what is happening in the world and why what our characters are doing is so important. Because we kind of get that throughout, but this really Mm -hmm. sets the stage. Um, And Six of Crows has multiple points of view. Yes, which we said in our last debrief when we were talking about things we would change or adjust in the previous book that we read, um, Shadow and Bone, um, is that we really feel like Leigh Bardugo's writing strength comes from her mastery of the third-person limited multiple point of view. And so this was the first book that we read of hers that had that format, and it was just chef's, chef's kiss. kiss. Oh, Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so chapter one is in the point of Joost? 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 Maybe? Joost? Let's go with Joost. Yeah, Joost sounds good. It's J-O-O-S-T. So, Lee Bardugo, if you're listening, please let us know how it's supposed to be pronounced, yes. and we apologize. Um, but, <laughs> We're doing our best. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying. Um, Yost, uh, is, it's in his point of view, and so it starts, he's making his rounds, patrolling around the mansions of Ketterdam, um, and so he is a guard, 
Um, and Ketterdam is the city that we're in. So mm-hmm. the last book took place in the country of Ravka. Um, this is Ketterdam a country? It's a um, Ketterdam is the capital of yes. Kerch. There you go. The islands of Kerch. So there you go. Look, reading the map. Um, <laughs> I love a book with a map. I know it makes it so much easier. It does. My directional sense is not great, but this helps a lot. So anyway, um, Yost is making his rounds. He's patrolling the mansions of Ketterdam. In the country of Kerch, and he's thinking about his crush Anya and what he should say to her the next time he sees her. And so we find out that he's Stodwatch, which is essentially the equivalent to the police, mm-hmm. um, but he's new to the job, he's young, and he really thought that the job was going to be more exciting, but notes that the merchant council in Kerch, uh, or in Ketterdam, essentially they're businessmen um, in the community who have political power, uh, they wanted more security patrols. So mm-hmm. he's kind of like Paul Blart mall cop in it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> he really is. He he is like the teenage underpaid mall guy who has to stand outside of Hot Topic and make sure you don't steal things. And so, I mean, clearly he doesn't have a ton to do because he's thinking about his crush. He's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say to her? Um, and so as he is continuing to patrol, um, he runs into two personal guards of Councilman Hodes. That's, we'll pronounce it like that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, He runs into two personal guards of Councilman Hodes separate from Stodwatch. They are his own personal guards. And they tease him about visiting his quote-unquote Grisha girl in the Grisha workshop. So Anya is Grisha. Mm -hmm. And in Ketterdam, many Grisha are used as indentured servants. Mm -hmm. Not good. No. Um, So if Ravka is a religious oligarchy, then Kirch is like beyond free market capitalism like it's like every person for themselves however you need to do it and so a lot of the grisha are like quote-unquote contract workers but their contracts are not fair and they're basically all in debt that is impossible to pay back a little bit like again a lot of things that have happened in history we do be living in a society Um, so... <laughs> That's that. On that. <laughs> uh, and so he makes his way to the Grisha workshop, but only finds one Grisha, Retvenko. Um, and Retvenko is a squalor, and he asks him about Yuri. Um, so Retvenko asks Yost about Yuri, who is another Grisha who they haven't seen since he's gotten sick a few days prior. And Yost says that he thinks Yuri's being quarantined, and Retvenko tells him that, of course, you know nothing. Um, and you can stop looking for Anya because she's not here. Mm-hmm. And then Retvenko explains that Councilman Hode came and got Anya the same day that he got Yuri. So the councilman that the property they live on because they are indentured servants mm-hmm. um, came and got Yuri and Anya. Don't know what happened to him. And Yost is confused because he thought that Yuri was just sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of disappeared, and Retvenko tells him that Hode took Yuri, and Yuri came back sick. Um, mm-hmm. So he didn't just start off sick. And Yost can't ask any questions, um, even though he's like, where's Anya, where's Yuri, what's happening? Uh, he can't ask any questions because Retvenko asks him to leave, and then pushes him out of the Grisha workshop with a gust of wind. So remember, mm-hmm. he's a squalor. Squalors can um, harness the wind. And so Yost is kind of like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what just happened? Where are they? Who are they with? Where's my girl? Kind of 
is, are she and Yuri a thing? Like, we don't know. Um, <laughs> it's true. He's, like, he's really going through it. Poor guy. Um, he's about to go through it some more. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so outside, Yost runs into the guards that he had a run, that he had run into previously, and they make fun of him some more, but then they tell him that all the guards are report are to report to the councilman's boathouse. So guards and Stodwatch. Mm-hmm. And on the way on the way to the boathouse, Yost is thinking about what possibly could have happened to Anya um, and Yuri. It's like, what could have happened? Where did they go? Where did they come from? <laughs> God, no job. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you don't need to be sorry. See, I started. I would say that, and then you would always jump in with, where did they go, where did they come from, Cotton Eye Joe, and so now no. I do it, so that's the second time was... in nine minutes <laughs> that I've said that. It's important. Yes, it is. Uh, contextual purposes. Yes, exactly. And so as they get to the boathouse, um, Yost, he sees a lot of activity happening. There's like a light that is uh, sh- that is shining, um, and two Stodwatch are standing guard of a freestanding cell in the boathouse. And so, mm-hmm. as bad as you can think, that's what it is. It's a mm-hmm. literal cell in a room. Um, and then he sees Anya and another little boy are in it. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, a child. Mm-hmm. And he kind of waves to her, and the two guards that he came in with are like, she can't see you, like, you're so dumb. He's like, well, how was I supposed to know that? Yeah. Um, it's which, it's yeah. like an interrogation room. Yes. Where, like, she sees a mirror, but he they can see in. Except it's a cell. Except it's a cell. Which, claustrophobic. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, don't I don't love like that. that. Uh, oh, my breathing kind of... <laughs> I, don't, I don't love that. Oh, no. Um, and so, uh, Anya and a little boy are in the cell, and eventually Councilman Hode enters the cell, gives the boy a pat on the back, and is, tells him that he'll be rewarded, and tells Anya... He, like, grabs Anya and tells mm-hmm. her to do as she's told. Not that she has a choice. And after some conversation um, with another councilman, uh, Hode give, Councilman Hode gives the captain um, the signal to proceed. And so the captain goes into the cell, grabs the little boy's arm, mm-hmm. and cuts him. Not as nice when the, a Stodwatch does it versus mm-hmm. the Darkling. Um, you know... It's bad. Just Still lots not of cut. Great. Lots of cuts. Lots of cutting. Man. Um, and Hode tells Anya to heal the little boy. And so she goes over there, uses her hand, wipes away the excess blood, and she heals him. Mm-hmm. And then Hode tells Anya to take Prem. And people are like, we're kind of confused. What is that? Mm-hmm. We know what Jerda is. Jerda is described as like a stimulant. Yeah. Like akin to caffeine mm-hmm. or maybe closer to Adderall. Kind of. Yeah. You know? That's a good, yeah. Um, and so he tells Anya to take Jarda Parem, and no one really knows what that is, um, but mm-hmm. she takes it reluctantly. Um, and so they cut the little boy's arm again, and mm-hmm. after Anya takes the little packet of Parem, she, um, as soon as she takes the packet of Parem, she instantly changes. It's, mm-hmm. it's like... Almost zombie, kind of. It's like instant addiction. Yes. Like instant. Mm-hmm. She's calmer. It's like she, she has a high and yeah. And so she instantly changes after she takes it. Um, and they tell her to heal the boy. Um, 
because they cut him again. Mm-hmm. And from across the room, she just like waves her hand and she heals him, which has not been done. No, normally a healer needs to touch somebody mm-hmm. to affect them. And she does it like she's bored. Yeah. From a distance. So super confusing for people who know what Grisha can do. And so they want to move to the next phase of their experiment. And <laughs> That's why I just made that face because I was skimming ahead. And I was like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they want to move to the next phase of the experiment. And they say to cut the boy's thumb off. And he starts crying. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, this is he's a, a child. child. Um, a child. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and before they can, Anya tells the guard to shoot the glass. Um, in, like, the the viewing mm-hmm. glass of, of the cell that they're in. And he does. And mm-hmm. he does it because she compelled him to, essentially. That's a good, yeah, compel. Yeah, it's like, the explanation is is that she, already healers have to have, like, such an innate and intimate understanding of the human body mm-hmm. so as to, like, do things like slow your heart, slow your breathing, hurt you or heal you. And the Jurda Parem has taken that to a molecular level, and she's basically like uh, like limitless. Like mm-hmm. the she is changing the chemical balance of his brain, telling him what to do. Like yes, like she's able to affect the neurons in his brain and his hormones and his pheromones and everything to essentially have mind control, mm-hmm. which is crazy, insane, never been done. Um, I just thought of the lady <laughs> Never the same. <laughs> Incredible, <laughs> amazing, terrific, original, never the same. Not incorrect. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, and so the guard shoots the glass, and people start to panic. They're like, what is going on? She's supposed to listen to what we say. Like, mm-hmm. she shouldn't be able to do that. Um, and then Anya goes and picks up the little boy, and she's kind of protecting him. And tells him not to watch what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And she tells Councilman Hode to come into the room and to pick up the knife. Well, sorry, before that, once people start to panic, she tells them, wait. And so everyone does Everyone wait. freezes. Like like a game of red light, green light. Everyone. Yes. They just. <laughs> no one is Mid-movement. Um, and then while, because they're stopped, she picks up the little boy and she tells Hode to come into the room and to pick up the knife. Mm-hmm. And that is where the chapter ends. And so that's, I feel like already, not that Shadow and Bone was like fluffy or light by Mm -hmm. any means, but this already sets the tone of Six of Crows as something faster, grittier, and a lot more intense Mm -hmm. than Shadow and Bone. We are off to a sprint. Yes. (laughs) Um, We hit ground running. And so uh, this is the only chapter that will be in Yost's point of view. Um. Rest in spaghetti, never forgetting. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Um, And so that, again, builds the world. We see what has caused Anya. Parem has caused Anya to behave this way. Mm -hmm. It changes everything. The councilmen um, in Ketterdam have um, a lot of the power. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of... Again, world building, phenomenal world yes. building. Well, because even it, this part's really reminiscent of me, like for me to Jurassic Park, the opening scene where they're moving the raptors, like to the original movie, when they're moving the raptors to a new containment and one of them jars the, the cage loose and mm-hmm. starts getting out and Muldoon starts yelling, shoot her, shoot 
somebody yells, shoot her, when, like, she opens the door. And Hode says, do you know how much money she's worth? Someone restrain her. Do not shoot. And that tells you immediately where the priorities are for the Kirch. Money, 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 money. Oh, yeah. Money. <laughs> um, and we kind of get more of that later on. I have a few quotes highlighted yes. um, later for money. But money in in Kirch, in Ketterdam, makes the world go round. Exactly. Um, Anything for a book in Ketterdam. Greedy. So we now are on to chapter two, which, again, is my favorite chapter i think of any book i've ever read it's so good i just think it's so good <laughs> i just think the character introduction the way it's done we don't quite know what's happening mm-hmm. but the character who they're talking about knows what's happening and the character whose point of view it's in has an idea but we don't know like it's just done so yes, well it is done so well yeah. i say again that like she is Lee Bardugo is a master of situational irony where characters know things that the reader doesn't know and that each character like knows different things and to keep that all straight and to have these multiple viewpoints and still keep your reader in suspense it takes an immense talent and I will say I I like to know what happens in books Mm -hmm. and movies I am an Enneagram 8 I am a Capricorn if that tells you anything (laughs) My favorite color is purple. (laughs) Um, I just like to know what's going on. I like to be in control. I want to be in the room where it happens. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I am causing what happened in the room to happen. Um, (laughs) But um, with this book, it was so phenomenally done. Mm -hmm. Again, we might have to shorten this because we're just going off our praises but but um, it's true. It's it's deserved. Yeah. But typically when I read a book or I watch a show or a movie, I can guess what's going to happen. Yes. So Criminal, criminal Minds, I know who who done it before yes. they before they show 15 them. minutes in, it's like it's the guy who sold them popcorn. Like you know. Yeah. You know. Like I read every Nancy Drew book as a child. I know what happens in a mystery. Like yeah. I can figure it out. But in this book there were points where I had no idea what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And that is a first, which it, it was so done. It's just so good. So, so well done. Anyway, we'll continue. Um, so chapter two is in Inej's point of view. But... Inej, my beloved. Oh, we love Inej. Um, but Inej is introducing Kaz Brecker. Um, and so her chapter... We see him through her point of view, but also just his, the description of him. Um, so, Kaz Brecker, a.k.a. Dirty Hands, a.k.a. The Bastard of the Barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the town of Ketterdam, um, he is said to not need a reason to do what he does, which is where the quote came from. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaz Brecker does not need a reason. Um, but Inej knows that that's wrong and that everything he does is deliberate and that it's calculated and it's planned out. Yes. And so as Inej is walking, um, we get a, we get little bursts of, of who she is throughout this chapter, but it's mostly Mm -hmm. an introduction to Kaz. Yeah. Um, but as she's walking, she counts the knives that she has on her, Mm -hmm. um, describing it as a ritual and she has named each of her knives after a saint. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit or should we get to that later? I think we'll get to that later. So she's uh, describing counting the knives and naming them as a ritual. 
And so she, as she's walking, she finally reaches the exchange, um, which is kind of a business center. Mm-hmm. And she sees Kaz and other members of the Dregs, which is their gang. Um, yeah. I would describe it as a gang. I would say so. Yeah. Pretty much. It's like the Peaky Blinders. Oh, you beat me by one second. Like, <laughs> literally, they're they're the Peaky Blinders, honestly. Uh, and so she see, she comes up to them. They're waiting. Um, but she stays hidden and watches rather than being noticed. Mm-hmm. So she sees Cash. She sees the other members of the Dregs. Um, but she's hiding. She's just watching them. And they don't know that she's there. And then as the Dregs, mostly Jesper... Um, we love Jesper. We love Jesper. Uh, Jesper um, is, he and the other drugs are talking about a Zemini ambassador who was killed. That is when Kaz notices Inej. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do want to take a second to describe Jesper. So yes. uh, he is described as a Zemini sharpshooter who was long-limbed, brown-skinned, and constantly in motion. Um, and so Zemini is a country um and that is where jesper is from but i think that's a really fantastic brief summary of of who he is um and so he's mentioned because he is one of the six crows yes (laughs) um, in the title i'm not gonna lie it took me an embarrassingly long time to be like why is this book called six of crows (laughs) i I literally was maybe a couple chapters before finishing it and i was like oh there's six of them so spoiler uh kaz (laughs) is a crow Inej is a crow, and Jesper is a crow. There's three, baby. There's three. We're halfway there. Um, And and so, again, Jesper and the other um, drags are talking about a Zemini ambassador who was killed, and then while they're talking about that, Kaz notices that Inej is there. He doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't Mm -hmm. say anything to anyone else. He just knows that she's there and, like, looks at her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kaz signaled to, to Jesper and the other drag Bollinger, who is going to go into this meeting, this parlay, this mm-hmm. scuffle, if you will. <laughs> I think parlay is a really good, it, it evokes kind of like a piratey sense. Yes. And that's kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like a deal, like a business deal between gangs. Um, and so Kaz has his, his two people and that are going into this deal with him, and it's Jesper and another drug Bollinger. And he tells them to get rid of their weapons as the law for parlay dictated they be unarmed. Anytime I saw parlay written, I was mm-hmm. like, Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I watched for the first time this summer. Really? Yes. What? I did. Yeah. Um, we I, watched all of them, um, I feel like not too long ago. I Good stuff. I went to New Orleans and everyone made fun of me for not knowing, what, for not watching Pirates of the Caribbean. So they pretended that I didn't know what pirates were. Um, <laughs> so, so I came back and watched them. I'm going to show them. <laughs> I, in fact, do know what a pirate is. I know so much about piracy. <laughs> so anyway, they have to go into this parlay unarmed. Um, and so this meant that Jesper had to give up his beloved his weapons. beloved weapons. Um, two pistols. And before he gave them up, he kissed them. Um, and handed them over. <laughs> and they both, they have pearl handles. Like, these are really nice revolvers. These are some nice guns. Like, think of, like, the nicest pair of, like, old west sharpshooter guns you can imagine. And make them, like, a little nicer than that. And mm. that's these guns. So good. Um, and then Jesper asks Kaz if he's going to give up his cane. So, it is important <laughs> to know that Kaz walks with a cane. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he 
when Jesper asks Kaz about this, um, Kaz says, who would deny a poor cripple his cane? Uh, and then Jesper tells him, if the cripple is you, then any man with sense. <laughs> yeah, he's like, anybody who's smart. Which, again, I think is a really, you just get these little pockets of who they are from other characters' comments about yes. them, which I love. Yes. Um, and so he keeps his cane, and they're going to meet someone named Jeels. We're going to go with that. G-E-E-L-S. Yeah. Um, at midnight, or 12 bells, which I do love that mm-hmm. they describe the time by the number of bells. Yes. I think that is... That was good world building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get a description of the exchange, which is where this is happening again. And mm-hmm. it's essentially a rectangular courtyard surrounded by warehouses and is one of the quote-unquote last pieces of neutral territory because mm-hmm. most of Ketterdam um, has been kind of divvied up by gangs and who has this territory. Mm-hmm. And It's been gerrymandered a little bit. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Jerry mandered the shit out of that place. <laughs> he he did. And in this case, Jerry is Cass. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. It's like a big nasty pie cut into different pieces. Um, and it the, the exchange should be empty at this time of night with the exception of the guards who patrol the area. But um, it is insinuated that they've been bribed to ignore um, mm-hmm. what is happening. And then while they're kind of going over this, Inej speaks up saying that it's a mistake and that Jules is up to something. Mm-hmm. And the drugs are like, what the heck? Like, like you know, the, <laughs> the meme of the office with mm-hmm. um, where Dwight is looking and then Angela comes out of nowhere. Yes. That is exactly, <laughs> that is what is happening in this scenario. Yes. Um, and Kaz tells her, of course he's up to something. Um, but per Haskell, who's the leader, the legal you know like like on his paper his name's on the lease mm-hmm. but he really hasn't done a lot in a long time because yeah. kaz is running things so um kaz tells her that of course jeels is up to something but per haskell the quote-unquote leader of the dregs um who's old but didn't really run the dregs wanted it this way mm-hmm. and so there's some back and forth between her and jesper um, and with this conversation, you, you also get more of a sense about who they are because Inej is like, no, this is, this is what's happening. Like we need to be more careful mm-hmm. and Jesper is joking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you also get more of their report as well, which yeah. is really sweet. Like, like you can tell from all of the dialogue among these three characters that mm-hmm. they have been friends for a really long time. Um, also trauma bonding. Literally, though. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. <laughs> um, and so there's some back and forth between them. You get more of a sense who they are. And then the bells strike, and Kaz tells the dregs to stay sharp and tells Inej to stay hidden. And then we get the first no mourners. No funerals. Which, if you know context clues at yes. all, that that is where the title for this podcast or the inspiration for yes. the title of this podcast. Yes. Um, so no mourners, no funerals, and that's kind of what they say um, throughout the book before every, like, battle they go yeah. into. Basically, anytime any of them has more than the normal statistical probi- probi- probability, there's that word, um, that they're going to die, it necessitates saying this. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like both the goodbye and a battle cry. Which, emotional. 
Emotional dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as they're going in um, to the fight parlay, during the parlay, mm-hmm. um, again, only the lieutenants, so it would be Kaz and Jules, and their seconds were allowed uh, to enter. Um, and so Jules is the leader of the Black Tips gang. So mm-hmm. again, um, we have the dregs. Kaz is a part of the dregs. Perhaskel is the on the least the de facto t- leader yes yeah. of the drugs and then we have Jules who is the leader of the black tips mm-hmm. um and so um only two are allowed in along with the lieutenants but if anything happened there are other drugs waiting right outside the exchange with the weapons and surely other black tips too yes um so it's like they're surrounded they're just kind of kind of waiting to to be called in essentially and so Inej um, makes her way to the roof, um, but mm-hmm. as she's climbing up there, she finds that some of the normal routes that she would have taken have been sabotaged, mm-hmm. and so the black tips were expecting her. So she has a reputation um, as the Wraith, mm-hmm. which, that's a cool, cool-ass that nickname. Is, that is a really cool, <laughs> that's a very cool nickname. And in the book, um, Inez describes, she says, I am expected, she thought, with grim pleasure. Mm -hmm. So they know about her and they try to sabotage her. Doesn't work. No. It delays her by maybe 30 seconds. If even. If even. Like, she was already, like, reaching up, checking to Mm -hmm. see. Because she doesn't, like, she is the definition of look before you leap. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, (laughs) she'll look. And then she will get the most graceful leap. (laughs) Will leap. She's like amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> and so she does make her way to the roof of the exchange where um, she can see both groups approaching. So we see Kaz, his guys, Jules, and his guys approaching. And then we get a description of Jules and the two guys he brought in. And Inej also notes that she's surprised that Kaz chose Bollinger to come with him and Jesper. Mm-hmm. Jesper's kind of Kaz's right-hand man. Yeah. If Kaz had... Any emotional competency, um, you would say that Jesper is his best friend, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. And he would say that. Yes. <laughs> Just not to Jesper. Yeah. <laughs> In his brain, he's thinking, wow, that's my best friend. What comes out is, don't be stupid. That literally is. <laughs> I know. With like, with, like, the implied context of, because if you're stupid, you'll die, and if you'll die, I'll be sad. But he doesn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> he's looking at him like... Wow, that's my best friend right there. He's so good in that fight. I care so much about him. Hey, don't mess this up. <laughs> but they <laughs> Once know. One comes out. They like Jesper and Inej know the like depth behind it, but they they're both kind of tired of it. Yes, at, yes. You know. There comes a point where it's like, look, you're so emotionally constipated, you're gonna explode. <laughs> Take yourself a metaphysical tums and get that worked out. <laughs> I'll have a coffee and walker in Barnes and Noble. <laughs> does it for me every time <laughs> anyway how about you get a pumpkin cream cold brew and calm down <laughs> can you imagine Kaz no I literally can't hands. I literally can't <laughs> anyway. oh my gosh um, you know what we made it 30 minutes before we bust in, into that's a, a that's a new record so I think that's pretty good um, so <laughs> she sees the two groups approaching, um, and again, it's noted that Inej is surprised that Kaz chose Bollinger to come mm-hmm. with him and Jesper. Um, it's implied that, again, Jesper's his best, his bestie, um, but that he <laughs> trusts him in a fight. Yeah. Um, and 
So as they, um, so they make small talk, the two groups, um, and Inej can see it, um, and she notes that Cam, Kaz is extraordinarily calm mm-hmm. with what's happening. Um, and as we are going um, in the book, I have, they're making small talk, and Inej notices that Kaz is calm. Mm-hmm. And during this, um, while, while she's watching what's happening, it's noted that most gang members in the barrel love Flash. Um, they wear mm-hmm. super bright, colored, They're loud. They're super gaudy. Yes. Um, but not Kaz. Kaz was the exception. Um, and he dressed like most merchants would. Um, mm-hmm. Which kind of pissed them off. Yeah, because... like, you think you're better than me? And Kaz is like, yeah. In fact, I am. I do, because I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of a, a theme throughout the next few chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, he Kaz enjoyed looking like one of the merchants, but um, at one point he says, I'm a businessman, he told her, no more, no less. And Inej tells him, you're a thief, Kaz. And uh, Kaz says, isn't that what I just said? <laughs> <laughs> so it's he kind of sees businessmen or thieves and... Like, yeah. he's just making his way in this world. Yes, because it, it makes both groups mad. Like, mm-hmm. it makes the other gangs mad that he's not, like, you know, you know, if it looks like a duck and talk, walks like a duck, it's a duck. Like, he's, like, dressing like a merchant. It makes the merchants hate him because they're like, you're not one of us. You're mm-hmm. a little gang dude. He just, he likes to have everybody mad at him. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> he does because when people are mad, they slip up. Yes. Oh, that's true. Good note. Um. So she notes that he's calm and the... F- the fight that is happening is over territory at the docks at Fifth Harbor, mm-hmm. which Kaz essentially single-handedly built up like, from the ground. Picked out. Yeah. Literally. He, like, had it completely redone. And because of that, the money that... What are you laughing at? <laughs> he said he had it completely redone. And I'm just thinking of the Fab Five coming in and Bobby, like... <laughs> Just building over all of it. And JVN. Yes. This gorgeous hair. (laughs) Why are you hiding this gorgeous skin under these gloves? Uh... (laughs) And Karama's like, hey, just talk to Inej. (laughs) Karama's like, let's go do a heist together and we'll talk about your problems with your father. (laughs) And he's like, like, industry is my father. (laughs) And Angie's like, kitchen you gotta <laughs> Anthony's just like distraught the entire time <laughs> Anthony's like you live like this <laughs> and Tan's like no notes yeah <laughs> black is slimming <laughs> the can the lovely everything is tailored perfectly <laughs> the gloves <are> so nice <laughs> just using they had the whole thing redone <laughs> it made me think so anyway uh, <coughs> Kaz um built up the fifth harbor docks he built that harbor <laughs> and Jules thinks that some of the docks should belong to the black tips but Kaz says it all belongs to the dregs because he literally built it mm-hmm. up so like that's fair and they go back and forth with Jules saying Kaz is too young and he doesn't understand Kaz is only 17 by the way so yes. is Inej and Jesper and Jesper they're all 17 Literal children. They are all the age of Abba's dancing queen. <laughs> they are young and sweet, only 17. 
<laughs> they are though. It puts a lot into context. Also, really quick, it's important to know um, that Bollinger is the one who pats down Jules. Oh yes, as they go in to make um, sure everybody adhered to the no weapons rule. Yes, the guys on each side pat the other ones down to make sure that they don't have weapons. Um, and so they are seventeen, and Jules is saying that Kaz is too young to understand, um, and tells Ka- Jules tells Kaz that he hired two guards and has rifles pointed at them right now. And Kaz tells him, call him. Mm-hmm. Call the guards. Tell him to shoot us. And so... Then do it. Yeah. Um, don't be a little bitch. Do it. <laughs> uh, and Kaz... Um, so once he tells him to call, um, Jules, Jules calls them, and then Bollinger is shot. And he's freaking out, and Jesper's freaking out, and mm-hmm. Jules is kind of freaking out a little bit, but Kaz is calm. He doesn't move a muscle. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, let's, it, it's go time. And Kaz tells Jules that he looks concerned. Mm-hmm. And Jesper's over there trying to help Bollinger. He's like, he needs a medic. And Kaz says he should be glad that Holst, the guard who shot, who, oh, that was a weird. Who shot you. <laughs> um, I wasn't even trying. Um, the, That's when it's great. Yeah. That he should be glad Holst, who's the guard who pulled the trigger, didn't shoot his head. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is happening? <gasps> You're like, wait a second. Because in no in no other book does, in chapter two, one of the main characters say, shoot me. Go ahead. Do call it. him. Do it. I dare Make you. Make my day. <laughs> um, and we find that Jill's paid the guards in money, but Kaz traded in information, mm-hmm. um, which is more valuable yes if there's anything that usurps money in kirch and especially in ketterdam Mm -hmm. it's secrets and so because of that because of a little secret that kaz had on this guard that he does not give up because he says that he can use it for more information later Mm -hmm. um, or for more help later one of the guards is working for kaz and he kind of bluffs that while they're talking Kaz kind of bluffs that he also has the other guard um, under his in his pocket, mm-hmm. um, but uh, tells Jules, "Go ahead, try see if see if he's still with you." And the other guard is still with Jules, but before mm-hmm. he can act on the command that Jules gives him, Inej is behind him with a knife to his throat. Yeah, and um, also it's important to note that Inej had no idea what was happening. No, did not did he did not clue her in at all she's literally having to do like like reverse upside down algebra like if that shot came from that rooftop and that's the guard that we have then the other guard must be on the opposite end which means i have 20 seconds to get over there and why did not he tell me not like to do this just this whole thing and they have a conversation later and it's very clear that kaz trusts inej to do what he needs her to do, yes. but she has her instincts that are just spot on. Yes. With that. Um, He's such a man. He's like, I just knew you'd do it. I didn't feel like he'd, I needed to tell you. <laughs> um, gosh, dang it. <laughs> it. It is. It's like, well, you know, sometimes people need to be told things. Yeah. And uh, so she has a knife to his throat, and then Jules is like, oh, I got one other trick up my sleeve, and pulls out a gun. <gasps> a gun! <laughs> Remember that Bollinger mm-hmm. was the one who patted him down. And so we find out that Bollinger betrayed the dregs 
But Kaz knew the whole yep. time. That's why when Bollinger's like, I've been shot, Kaz was like, good. Yeah, he's like, oh. <laughs> then perish. Oh, what a pity. Um, and then, uh, so Jules pulls out his gun, points it at Kaz. Kaz steps into the gun mm-hmm. with the gun at his chest, like touching his chest. Mm-hmm. And says, um, tells Jules the address of his girlfriend's house. And implies that he has two people ready to burn her house down if he doesn't make it out. Mm-hmm. And Kaz, or, and Jules kind of insinuates that he's bluffing, but then we hear a siren he's running. Like, You're bluffing. Um, and Kaz is like, is that, is that smoke you smell? Hmm. Um, and so Jules stands down, but um, as he stands down, kind of turns away, Kaz hits him with his cane. Um, <laughs> he's like, I stood down. He's like, e- and? Your point? Whatever. Um, and he walks away. Um, they're they're walking away from it, and Inej is walking away from the roof, off the roof. Tells mm-hmm. the guard to go back home to his family, so she doesn't kill him or anything. Yeah. Um, and as she's walking away, she has the urge to help Bollinger, but she realizes that he betrayed them, mm-hmm. um, and so she says a prayer for him and and walks away. And that is such a good character it introduction. Is so good. I like Ugh. can't you just. Again, it's so good. Because we don't know that Kaz knows. Mm-hmm. And Nej doesn't know that Kaz knows, but she trusts him mm-hmm. and she's gonna follow his lead, like what he's gonna she's gonna follow what he needs her to do. Yep. It's just written so well because you just know that Kaz had a very deliberate plan the entire yes. time. He knew exactly what was happening. Yes. It's oh, just so it's just so well done. I just can't sing its praises enough. And we also see just a little bit of Jesper's character there where he mm-hmm. his instinct is to go to Bollinger's mm-hmm. like aid when he's like, oh, he's hurt. He's bleeding out. And Kaz is just super apathetic. And Jesper's like, what's wrong with you? Like before he realizes they've been betrayed. There's, and that, there's that tells a us a lot about him too. Yeah. There's also a lot wrong with Kaz and we'll get to that later. That's <laughs> God love him. Trauma. Um, before we start chapter three, I would like to um, mention one thing mm-hmm. that Jordan's husband described. Um, I was like, but while we were discussing how to describe Ketterdam, mm-hmm. um, Jordan said, it's like Amsterdam, just Ketter. <laughs> and Jordan's husband said, Imag- imagine Amsterdam, now replace Ams with Ket. And there it is. There it is. And he was correct. <laughs> and he's like, yep. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But it's is in the in the show it is kind of like mm-hmm. amsterdam just like greasy grimy yeah amsterdam meets peaky blinders yes mm-hmm. and i was confused in the show because it's literally so dark and kirch all the time because it's an island off of the southern coast yeah off of the southern coast of shuhan kind of well i mean technically the the west coast of shuhan it's like it's really foggy and cloudy. Like, the weather's not great there. So, it's it's giving Gotham. It's it's giving steampunk Amsterdam a little bit. Not super steampunky. But, um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. So, I just thought that was a funny little, little anecdote. <laughs> it's like Amsterdam, but replace Amps with Ket. And there it is. And there it is. There you got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, now we start Chapter 3. And Chapter 3 is in Kaz's point of view. Um, and again, we're still world building. We're very early on, but a mm-hmm. lot has happened in two chapters. And mm-hmm. people have been shot. It's, yeah, it's a very fast pace, but multiple people have been shot. No. Well, eh, no. Two shots have been fired. Yes. Um, one at a window, one at 
a person. Um, and so chapter three is in Kaz's point of view. And as Kaz and Jesper leave the exchange, they're greeted with cheers from the rest of the dregs. And um, the dregs want to celebrate, but they're also kind of nervous because of Bollinger's betrayal and mm-hmm. how easily Kaz got back at him and how harshly yes. he got back at him. And in the book, um, Kaz Kaz says, it, well, in his mind. Yes. It's, how would, how would we... In his internal narrative. There you go. That's the word. Jordan is a lot better at words than I am. No, I'm not. Um, and so it says, Kaz relied on the fact that the dregs were all murderers, thieves, and liars. Um, he just had to make sure they didn't make a habit of lying to him. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of happy. They're like, oh, yay. But, like, Bollinger just betrayed us. Not good. Also, Kaz just had him shot. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yay. They're like, we love you. We're scared of you. But we like you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Jesper tells Kaz that he wished that he had told him about mm-hmm. Ballinger. Kaz gives him, gives Jesper a snide remark. Um, this is literally mm-hmm. like um, Tommy Shelby could have said this. Don't tell me my business, Jess. Like, yeah, I feel like that is a Tommy Shelby line almost. I would really love to know. I don't, I don't know when this book was written, but was um was inspiration for Kaz taken from Thomas Shelby or was inspiration for Thomas Shelby taken from Kaz Brecker or were they both from the archetype of a tortured little gang boy soul okay this one came out in 2015 now let's look at the pinky blinders and I'm really trying not to say What's between Peaky and Blinders? Because I'm trying not to add an explicit rating to this <laughs> podcast, but it's really hard not to say it. Okay, the Peaky Blinders. It's close. Yeah, the season one came out 2013. Mm. So Peaky Blinders predated so it by just I, a bit. So I wonder if inspiration for Kaz was taken from Tom. Sh- I also know it takes Maybe. a long time to write a book. Also that too. Uh, that's what I'm thinking too. Anyway, both phenomenal characters. Yes, like this is not in yeah. It's, they're yeah. both incredible. They're both and I phenomenal. do see Killian Murphy, like, in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm reading Six of Crows mm-hmm. and Crooked Kingdom, I see, like, a young Killian Murphy mm-hmm. as cast. Well, real quick, I do want to say it before we continue, that the casting... Oh, so I mean, we good. talked about it in for Shadow mm-hmm. and Bone, that the casting was done really well. Ben Barnes was a fan mm-hmm. casting. Jesse Mealy did phenomenal mm-hmm. as Alina. But the casting for the Crows... It's... I'm like, who... The ca- who did you did you make a promise with the devil to just pull them out of the literature into real life? They because that's what it's like. They were so perfectly cast, and we'll get yes. there more and more as we go through this book. Because we again we've only met half of the crows, yeah, but they wow. were so well Ugh. cast. Just um, immaculate casting. And in Shadow and Bone, the show, we don't start with. The events in Six of Crows. There are flashbacks in Six of Crows. Mm-hmm. So we get bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. It's a different storyline to introduce them. Yeah, it's like the the storyline for two characters, which will be introduced probably next episode. Um, in Six of Crows, their information was put into season one of Shadow and Bone the mm-hmm. show, and then for the other three crows, so Inej, Casper, and Jez, and what did I just Inej, say? Inej, Kaz and Jesper. Kaz and Jesper. I was like, wait a second. Um, everything that happens in the Shadow and Bone show for them is like show canon prequel to the events of Six of Crows. So 
phenomenal casting. So good. I mean, I I watched the show before I read the book again. Same, same. Um, but picturing them while reading this book, just perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Hats off to the casting directors. Like, truly. A talent. I hope that the deal you made with the devil was worth it. Because it was worth it to us. The The deal deal is the deal. deal. Uh. Um, (laughs) So anyway, back to the book. We're just, we spend a lot of time singing the praises of Lee Bardugo and the casting and everyone. Mm -hmm. And we will continue to do it throughout this podcast because the artistry that it took to get this book and also the show. Yes. There's a scene that I'm thinking of. It's my favorite scene. We'll get to it. Oh, we're so close. We are not close (laughs) to it, Jordan. You know. Which one is it? The one that's in the show. Which one? Where he's well, I don't want to. Okay, no, we'll get there. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um. So anyway, um, Jesper wishes that he knew about um Bollinger, and Mm -hmm. Kaz gives him a Snyder mark, but then he feels kind of bad about it. (laughs) So again, the you're so dumb. Yes. But I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And so he tells Jesper that he has an open line of credit at the Crow Club, which is the Dregs Club. Um, a gambling hall. Yeah, they're like above boards business. Mm-hmm. Uh, till morning. And it should be noted that Jesper is a big, huge gambler. Like... Like, like, prob- like... Like, you should probably like go he- to an AA meeting. <laughs> yeah. Or not AA. Um, it's it's an addiction, for sure. Yeah. He is I addicted mean, maybe, to, like, to AA, gambling. I mean, maybe, because, like, AA, Anonymous, but, like, addiction. Yeah. Anyway. He should go to a meeting. Yes. Um, <laughs> he should speak to a therapist about that. <laughs> and then we get um, we get a little bit more of a backstory on Kaz. And we find that Kaz joined the dregs at 12 years old. That's crazy to me. A child. That is a child. And um, when he did, he was considered a laughingstock, but has managed to completely turn things around. And essentially that everything the dregs have is because of the work that he has done. And mm-hmm. he is... The leader, not, he's, everyone listens yes. to what he does. Perhaskel might tell him what to do, mm-hmm. but Kaz will still do his own thing, and Perhaskel's just going to go with it because of all the success that Kaz has had. Yeah. Haskell's basically a figurehead now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, let's see. So, in the book, um, it says, when he'd officially become a member of the Dregs, he'd been 12, and the gang had been a laughing stock. Street kids and washed up cadgers running shell games and penny poor cons out of a rundown house in the worst part of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So he built up the business. <laughs> he did. Well, and you can tell it in the names too, because like mm-hmm. the black tips, that's like evocative of like a shark, something dangerous. Dregs are like the nasty things left over in your coffee cup when mm-hmm. all the good stuff is gone. I was going to say, crows, disgusting, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> hate it ew <laughs> so nasty i yeah i, I love like this birds. book so much but <laughs> birds no no if it had been like 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 six of puppies what else or... could... <laughs> six of puppies there oh. there's the, the episode title <laughs> six of puppies um so anyway kaz has built up the dregs um and so everyone kind of goes back to the crow club and as Kaz mm-hmm. is walking, he feels almost hopeful, which is odd for him. Um, it's probably the last time he'll feel hopeful for a while. Yeah. It's, he, he has this almost sense of peace, of mm-hmm. not as close to peace as Kaz can get, is hopeful. Yeah, honestly. Um, and then he realizes that Inej was following him and that she has been following him since the exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love this part, too, because 
again, when they were at the exchange, he saw her. No one mm-hmm. else did. And as she, as he's walking, he knows that she's following him. And in the book, it's, oh, it's written so well. It says, mm-hmm. but when she wanted to, Inej had a way of making you feel her silence. It tugged at your edges. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Um, and so he realizes that she's following him and he says, spit it out already, Wraith. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, she was, we find that she was worried that he had actually sent someone to burn down Jules's girlfriend's house, mm-hmm. but we find that he was just bluffing and that the siren was just a coincidence and that he played it up. He literally Bob Rosses it up. He says, a happy accident. <laughs> he literally says, a happy accident. <laughs> I'm just true. picturing cows with like a, just a little <laughs> paintbrush. Um, and so they go back and forth. About how Kaz knew about Bollinger's betrayal. Um, and again, he didn't tell anyone. And then she tells him that greed is his, greed is his god. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells Inej, no, Inej, greed bows to me. It is my servant and my lover. So dramatic. I know. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I guess he has a right to be dramatic. Yeah. Um, and then they get into a conversation about religion and gods and we learn that Inej believes in the Suli saints, and mm-hmm. um, he kind of likes to tease her about that. So mm-hmm. we mentioned that she has her knives. Each one is named after a saint. Um, and it, Kaz is essentially atheist. Um, yeah. And so he teases her about her religion, which is not cool. That's that's a no-no. No. That's a no-no. We don't do that. Respect everyone and their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows and trusts what she's going to do and she's essentially the only person he can do that with. Yeah. He trusts Jesper to an extent. Um, he knows that he'll get the job done, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have to worry about Inej. He, he knows that she knows what he's doing, yep. that she'll get his cues, that he gets her cues. He trusts her like implicitly. Mm-hmm. Which is so sweet. God, I love I know. So much. <laughs> I know. Uh. It's also kind of clear that they like each other a little bit mm-hmm. um, as much as they can. There are some feelings there. Some, just have conversations. It's, it's hard to differentiate feelings that aren't unhappiness and greed for Kaz, but. But he, he feels them and he doesn't quite know what they are. Um, no, he feels them and he's kind of mad. Yeah. He's like, why do I feel this way? It's like, <laughs> how unfair for everyone involved. <laughs> Dramatic. Um. <laughs> And so after that, she leaves, and Kaz continues walking, and he realizes that, realizes that he isn't alone. Mm-hmm. And so someone comes up, um, and he's like, state your business. Um, they don't, and mm-hmm. they're, like, trying to fight him. And so he, or about to fight him, and so he tries to fight back, but mm-hmm. is quickly overtaken, um, and he thinks he sees someone go through a wall, and he mm-hmm. he's like, that is not happening. That's not normal. That's not normal. Um, and then he's jabbed with a syringe, and mm-hmm. as he's losing consciousness, his last thoughts were, fool. <laughs> he's like, a ghost with a syringe? Fool. <laughs> I mean... And then he passes out. Self-realization. Good for him. <laughs> um, and so, Kaz wakes up as a medic is waving smelling salts in front of his nose, and finds that he's shackled to a chair, um, but in a really nice room. Mm-hmm. And it's too nice to be uh, where the black tips were. So he and Inej and him kind of thought that because they beat the black tips so bad and they essentially um, 
the black tips used all their money to pay off the guards and they mm-hmm. now they lost and they have no money that the black tips were going to come after them but the room that he's in is too nice for that um and he finds that he's in the home of one of the merchants mm-hmm. um because he looks up and there is a man dressed very nicely in a very well decorated room um and uh, he can tell who it is by based on his pocket watch and the tie pin mm-hmm. that has uh, rubies on it. And this is Councilman Van Eck. Um, More like Van Ick. <laughs> You're right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? I didn't. I, not me. Also, it's kind of funny as Kaz is waking up with smelling salts. The doctor mm-hmm. is like, are you okay? He's like, get away from me. I'm fine. <laughs> uh. <laughs> also, that like... If you kidnap someone and you wake them up and you're like, are you okay? Obviously not. Obviously yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be okay. I, anyway. Um, so he is with Councilman Van Eck. Van Eck. Yeah. Um, so uh, they start to a conversation. Kaz tries to rile him up by saying what he does as a merchant um, isn't different to what Kaz does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we realize that Kaz is just stalling and trying to get out of the restraints. Yeah. Um, and Kaz is a really, really good, um, not pickpocket, locksmith, pick, yeah. lock pick. Lock, he's really good at, lock, at, lock. at sleight of hand. Yes. And he's also a really good lock picker. Is that what it's called? Lock? I think so. Yeah. If, if he, he did it as a, pres- as a profession, he would be a locksmith. But if he played Skyrim, he would never break a lock pick. There you go. Um, so he's really good at that. So he's stalling, trying to um, see how much wiggle yeah. room he has with the restraints on on his hands. Um, and uh, Van Eck tells him that he has a proposition for him. And then Kaz, while well, he says that, Kaz thinks of the ghost that he thought he saw before he was knocked out and mm-hmm. thinks, Jordy, no, no, it couldn't have been. And we're like... Who's who's that? Who's Jordy? Well, when I was first reading that, I you know my name on this podcast is Jordy because that's a nickname I've had since childhood. So I was like, "Is it me?" <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it was not it you. It wasn't me. <laughs> but I was like, "Wow!" But also, when people call me Jordy, I usually think of it with a Y, and this is an IE. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. So again, phenomenal job of little sprinkling of just. Ooh. Some Oops. intrigue. Oops. Ooh, who is that? I don't know. That's so crazy. Just a dash of trauma. <laughs> it's more than a dash of trauma. <laughs> it's just, just a sprinkle. It's an, a whole ass dump truck of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> and uh, so Vanek then goes through Kaz's arrest record mm-hmm. and notes that the first time he was arrested, he was 10. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaz tells him, you never forget your first. Yes. He's uh, always like... Ah. <laughs> um, and that he hasn't been arrested in three years. So since Kaz was 14, he has not been arrested. Mm-hmm. And Kaz tells him that he turned his life around <laughs> and that he found prayer. And they go back and forth. Um, and Kaz is trying to remember everything that he can on Vanek. Mm-hmm. But when he tells him that he turned his life around, that he did find prayer, um, Vanek tells him that that's blasphemy, and so Kaz notes that he is a man of faith. Yeah, got it. Um, And then also remembers that Vanek is widowed and has a son. Hmm. Um, And they go. Yes, and that his new wife is not much older than Kaz, who, as we will call, is 17. And Vanek is not in his 20s. Vanek is like probably well into his 40s at least, if not older. Icky. Or it's Van Ick, we say again. Van Ick. Um. 
It's like the app rat part two. <laughs> Honestly, though, truly, truly, Vanek is almost worse than the app rat. Almost. Yeah. Um, and so they go back and forth on what a criminal Kaz is, uh, and they're having a conversation. And then before we, kn- before Vanek knows it, Kaz is out of his chair and grabbed Vanek, mm-hmm. like grabbed his shirt. And then all of a sudden, his guards are surrounding them with like guns drawn. And Vanek yes. tells Kaz that he can change his mind about. That Vanette can change Kaz's mind about wanting to leave. Um, and mm-hmm. then Agrisha um, in a Tide Maker's Kepta walks through the wall. So that'll. <laughs> that's a little. <laughs> he was a gog, a ghast. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and Kaz is so confused because um, Grisha are only supposed to. Be, it's the small science, it's the handling of the small science. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to be able to change molecularly yes. that much. It's, it's not omnipotence or godlike powers Mm -hmm. it's and when you do have godlike powers bad things happen yes there's always we remember from shadow and bone there's always an equal and opposite reaction it seeks balance Mm -hmm. and so like this is like a clear like that's not natural Mm -hmm. um and so kaz is super confused he's like (laughs) oops what it it wasn't jordy (laughs) what who is that (laughs) Um, and so Vanek explains that the Grisha was given Jurda Perem, mm-hmm. which is something manufactured from the Jurda plant. And so Jurda, again, is described as a non-dangerous stimulant, kind of like caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, but Perem is so much more um, and has the potential to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so they give Kaz his pistol and his came back. Um, and before they start discussing Perem more... Um, Vanek tell asks Kaz if his cane was fabricator made, mm-hmm. and Kaz tells him none of your business. But it was. But it was. It was. It in fact was fabricator made, um, and <laughs> so we get a little bit more of the background on Perem. And so Perem was made by a shoe scientist named Bo Yol Bayer. Bayer. I was I thinking um, Bo Yol Bayer. Bo Yol Bayer. That the Y and the R, it's really hard for me. Well, and like Yul Bayer, so the way that the Shuhan do the last names mm-hmm. is that, um, I can't remember like the exact naming convention, but isn't it like for boys it's Yule and then for girls it's something different or is it just like last I names? Know. I can't remember. We'll get there eventually. But they have a, a, a naming convention for last names where all last names are hyphenated with an honorific. Mm-hmm. So Yule is the honorific and then Bayer, it's like son of Bayer basically. Mm-hmm. So first name is Bo, last name is Yule Bayer. Um, and so this shoe scientist created Perem. And we find that it enhances Agrisha's powers and alters their perception I have it written down, but, like, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, the Grisha are only supposed to be able to do, the like, the small science. Mm-hmm. But as we just saw in the book, a tide maker manipulated the molecules either of in his... their body or of the the wall they were walking through it so much that they could walk through. his own body. It had to be his own because yeah. we're so much percent water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, what was that? There have been a few movies about this concept, which has since been proven scientifically unsound, but it'll work for the metaphor we're crafting here. That movie with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, yeah. Um, where she was like, the average human only uses 20% of their brain. You're isn't up to 100% one, now. Isn't that the one where it was supposed to be cast as an Asian woman? No, that's Ghost in the Shell. Oh. That's different. Whoops. But that was also... <laughs> some anyway. really funny memes come out of that yeah, but it's but like is... it's like when she has like a hundred percent quote unquote of her brain capacity she's able to like stop time and mm-hmm. like 
do crazy things like this. And so it's since been proven from, from science that that's not a real thing. But Jordan Param kind of does that, where it's mm-hmm. like they go from being able to manipulate at a small scale the things that their aptitude is for that indicates their order as Grisha to being able to literally change the fabric of reality Everything. and the universe around them. And so, as an example, Van Eck pulls out a lump of gold, um, and he tells Kaz that it was lead, but a Grisha on Perem changed it. And Kaz says, that's that's not possible. He's like, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Perem comes with a price. Um, and Grisha, who mm-hmm. take it, are essentially drained. They're addicted. Um, so it is it is a drug. It It is kind of like, almost like a, a, a drug addict. Um, yeah who is so strung out, they have, you know, they feel great, and Mm -hmm. then they have no power. Um, The withdrawal is awful. mm -hmm. And Van Ack tells Kaz that having the recipe for Jerda... (coughs) Bless you. Thank you. Um, Van Ack tells Kaz that having the recipe for Jerda Param could change everything. And Kaz is like, so you want me to steal the recipe and Kaz mm-hmm. is like or uh Van Eck is like no we want you to steal the man who made it <laughs> <laughs> Bo Bayor like what it's like what do you mean um but then we find that Bo Yulbayor was taken by the Fierdens and mm-hmm. is waiting trial at the ice court which is the um it's tri- not as cute as it sounds no <laughs> it's essentially the tribunal court in Fierda and mm-hmm. if we remember, Fierdens hate Grisha. And so a Grisha who made some who created something to make other Grisha more powerful in Fierda, not great. No, they're not a fan of not that. Not a super great sitch. Because they already see Grisha existing mm-hmm. as an affront to their god Gel or Del or Gel. Gel. We'll say Gel. Yeah. Um and Kaz laughs in his face because first of all the ice court has never been breached Um, no it's like famous for it 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 famously has never yeah it's famously impregnable impregnable um and then vanek um offers cast four million kruga so that is the um their money Mm -hmm. that they use and also uh real quick in like the first episode of Shadow and Bone, um, Mal wins some Kruga, um, mm-hmm. like while fighting, and mm-hmm. Alina tells him, "Are you gonna use that in Ketadem?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so again, we kind of get that mm-hmm. the back and forth world building. Yes. So uh, Vanek offers him four million Kruga, and then mm-hmm. ups it to ten million. And then ups it to twenty million. That's I'm looking at that part right now. It's like there's no point to a fortune I won't be alive to spend. And he goes, 20. And Kaz paused. (laughs) (laughs) Unless. Unless. Um, And Kaz asks, why me for the job? You can afford anyone. And Vanek then brings up the Mm -hmm. fact, um, the idea that Kaz stole a decapel painting from him that's worth Mm $100,000. It's like, I can neither confirm nor deny (laughs) that that happened. And uh, that... Um, he stole even though Van Eck's gallery was supposed to be impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And Van Eck says that he needs the person who stole his painting for the job. Kaz is like, oh, good luck finding him or her. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that person must have been really good. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and <laughs> although Kaz never admits to it, they continue out of the room. 
and we find that they're actually in Councilman Hode's house, the councilman mm-hmm. from the first chapter, um, and they're walking towards the boathouse. And Kaz is kind of freaked out because he remembers that Councilman Hode, like, they thought that his house mm-hmm. was, um, uh, there was a plague happening. Fire and so Firepox. Um, and that they were under quarantine. So he's freaking out a little bit, but, um, which we'll understand why he freaks out later. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, quarantine, co- uh, like, um plague not great but no he has a reason um and so they continue they're in councilman hode's house and they walk to the boat house which again is where the first chapter took place Mm -hmm. and they get there and they find that a cell in the middle of the room and a group of guards um are watching what's happening inside um and they see that another it so they're looking inside the cell and they see that another guard has died Mm-hmm. Um, which is apparently a common theme because Van Eck is like, another one? Just get him out. Mm-hmm. And we realize that it's Yost from the first chapter. Yeah. That's why I said rest in spaghetti, never forgetty. Because <laughs> <laughs> she said, wait, and they did um, forever. Oh, yeah. Because um, after the panic, um, Anya told everyone in the room to wait. And so they did. They are just waiting for someone to tell them to do something, but they can only listen to her. Um, and so they're essentially acting like zombies, not flinching, not doing anything, not, not blinking, listening. Like... Um, and so when she told them to wait, they had not moved since. And so after learning of everything that happened, um, so Vanette kind of gives Kaz like a mini summary about it. Um, and Kaz tells Vanek 30 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and Vanek is like, I said 20 million. He's like, well, how bad do you want me to do this? Um, and then he agrees that he'll pay the 30 million, but the merchant council won't be happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Venek warns Kaz, if you fail, all the world will suffer for it. And mm-hmm. Kaz says, oh, it's worse than that, Venek. If I fail, I don't get paid. <laughs> Which, get your bag, Kaz. Honestly. <laughs> you secure that bag. Honestly. <laughs> Um, but that is, like, what Kaz is greedy um, down to his core, essentially. Yep. Um, so they agree by saying the deal is the deal, and they shake hands. And then when they shake hands, mm-hmm. um, we find that Kaz is wearing black leather gloves um, that uh, Tan is going to let Kaz keep. <laughs> He's not going to make him throw those away. <laughs> and then um, Vanek asks Kaz, why he always wears gloves mm-hmm. and Kaz tells him well I'm sure you've heard the stories and um Vanek says each one more grotesque than the last mm-hmm. and then Kaz tells him pick one they're all true enough <sighs> but whatever you're thinking why he's wearing the gloves it is it's so, so much much worse. Worse. You kept telling me it was worse. Like, I kept reading it and, like, giving you different theories, like, while I was reading it. And you were like, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Guess what? It's even worse than that. I'm like, "Uh." Yeah. It was not a great situation, which we'll get to eventually. So that is the end of chapter three. And we are moving to chapter four. So chapter four um, is back to Inez's point of view. So, and this is like, again, a great strength of Bardugo's is that she can jump. She doesn't hold herself to a certain order of chapters. We'll jump between Kaz and Inez a couple of times. Jesper will get his moment. The other crows will get their moment. But she chooses the point of view that's going to help the story the most. So we jump to Inez, who has just been like 
chilling in her room basically in the slat which is kind of like their headquarters it's their little place that they live in where the gang comes and goes and has rooms and whatnot and so um she's like oh it's just another house in the worst part of the barrel it's it's creaky it's mildewy everybody's all crowded up together um but again we see that kaz had actually like spent his own money to clean it up to make sure that it was at least like watertight because Ketterdam is kind of Missing. like below sea level in some places. <laughs> it's on like the northmost point of the island that is Kirch. And so the water's coming in and out. It's icky. It's very much like It's like Houston, Amsterdam and yes, Pinky Black and, and London. New York a little bit <laughs> yeah. in London. Yes, it's very it's it's very, very industrial. <laughs> It's very early industrial city center on the water, which is to say nasty. But he had shored it up and it was like one of the only dry buildings in the barrel, which is nice. So Inez has been hanging out in her room, which is like a little tiny thing. But we get the sense from her narrative that she likes having her own space. But also, real quick, Mm -hmm. um, Inez knew exactly when Kaz entered the slap. So he senses her presence. She senses his presence. They just, just, it's like, like there's like an atmospheric change around each other when they're in each other's presence that they both can sense. It's so freaking adorable. I can't stand it. Yes. (laughs) And so before Kaz went out and got kidnapped by ghosts, um, he told Inej to go and fire one of the guys who deals cards at the Crow Club because he he discovered he had been skimming a little for himself off the top because he was such a good dealer that he could like manipulate the hands and, and take a little bit a little cut for himself and Kaz don't play it like that so he's got to go and Inej had kind of argued with him like why don't you just take one of his fingers why don't you just do this and she's like and he said well if I take one of his fingers he's not going to be a good dealer anymore I don't want him to be out of work I just don't want him to work for me so <laughs> so Kaz is, is fair in the he's sense he's very he's a true neutral yes honestly because chaotic neutral is, he is a really good that's true that's true he's very much chaotic neutral because Kaz owns all these businesses um and runs the town but he does not have indentured servants he does not no. own a brothel he he's not trying he's he's just trying to make his money yeah but he's not trying to ruin lives mm-hmm. Except for one, which we will find out more. So um, this is where we see that Inej, not only is she like the wraith, like she she gets secrets, she can traverse the city really easily, really quietly without being noticed by anyone but him. But she's also kind of his enforcer. Mm -hmm. So if there's a problem he needs solved, Inej is the person that he sends. And so she had just, she's like reminiscing about what she just went and did at the Crow Club while while Kaz is entering the slat, where she went to go fire... Rojak, Royak, Royaki, I don't know. Rojake? Ferrojaka, <laughs> um, where she went to go fire the card dealer. And um, she's, he immediately is like, well, where is he? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, you always know everything about everything. Isn't that what Dirty Hands pays you for? Like trying to kind of get under her skin. And Inej is like the consummate professional. Her it's whole gonna thing. It's going to take more than that. To her get whole thing her is that she's very good at what she does, but mm-hmm. she doesn't enjoy what she does. Like she does what she does, and she does it well, but it's not what she wants to do for like a living or for her whole life. And we'll get more into that here in a moment. And so um, she's basically like, "You got to go. You cut. You're done. Sashay away." <laughs> and Farajaka is like, "I want my last check." 
And she's like, he doesn't owe you anything. And so he immediately flips from, like, giving her props for, like, knowing things and being his enforcer to trying to degrade her for being a woman. So he's like, oh, he can't even face me himself. He sends a little girl to come and fire me. Maybe I'll just shake a few coins out of you. And we get this uh, sense here that um, she has learned how to defend herself from people because she immediately, like, dodges him and beats the crap out of him. Like, in two hits. Like, she, as casually as, like, tucking her hair behind her ear, slips on some brass knuckles and one-twos him in the face super hard. But before that, um, Jesper is at the club. Yes, and, he is. And he sees what's happening, and so he starts to get out of his seat to go help her. Because, um, mm-hmm. again, Jesper wants to help people, but especially Inej. Like, yes. They, he would do anything for Inej. Um, and they have such a good brother and sister relationship. They really, really do. Um, but she's like, no, 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 no. She just kind of waves them off. She's like, I got this. And she, in fact, mm-hmm. does have it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's like, it's made clear, like, that Kaz had a, some some role in her coming to the slot. And he's told her, like, hey, I'll provide for you. I'll give you a job. But I'm not going to watch out for you. You're going to have to fend for yourself. And so she did. So she, anytime anyone, like, makes any she sort said, of... She okay, bet. <laughs> yeah. Anytime anyone makes some t- sort of, like, un, like advance at her, she pays them back with interest. And, like, she actually says in her, like, little internal narrative here that she had gone out of her way to make the risk much higher than the reward when it came to disrespecting her. And Rojaka's feeling is kind of, are kind of her. He's like... I thought we were friends. It was just words. But it's like she she has a no tolerance policy. And she even admits to herself that she kind of likes him and that she's sad that she has to be firing him. But she still goes and does it. She's like, you know, just be grateful that he's not taking, that Kaz isn't taking what you owe him out of your flesh. Like, be grateful you can still go find work. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Sends him on his way. And Jesper is like, is there. He clocked this whole interaction. He's there um, using Kaz's kind of peace offering of an open line of credit at the Crow Club to to kind of cool him down. Gambling because, addiction? Yes, because Kaz knows he's not the face man. He's mm-hmm. the plan man. He wants everyone to be afraid of him. But people like Jesper. Jesper mm-hmm. is funny. Jesper is lively. He likes to spend money. He likes to gamble. And so Kaz is doing himself and Jesper a favor, like... The, the line of credit's a peace offering, but it's also, like, doing damage control for how scary the night was. Because mm-hmm. Jesper's very, like, relaxed. But he he's goes vibing. over. He is. He's a vibe. And he goes over to Inej and is like, hey, you know, I would I hate that he sends you to do your dirty work. His dirty work. Like, that's not fair to you. And Inej is like, it's all dirty work. Because everyone is super dramatic <laughs> in Six of Crows. But they have, They're teenagers. They have good They're reason. 17. They're all 17. They've been through it, Jordan. I know they have. <laughs> So, so she's already like, like, that's what she's thinking of while she's like sitting at home and Kaz just got home, all that good stuff. And she knows that as soon as he enters the slap, that he's going to go report to per Haskell. Because Haskell, even though he's not like the boots on the ground leader, he is still technically in charge. And while he's still technically in charge, Kaz has to kind of kiss the ring a little bit and pay his respect. Have to show that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And so because she knows Kaz so well and knows this is what's happening, she goes into this little supply closet on the floor above Haskell's office that has a perfect little vent where she can look down and listen to all the good stuff. So we kind of we kind of talked about it earlier because Inej got to the roof easily. 
Um, and even though the black tips tried to like deter her, they like greased up a, a pipe that she might have gone up and put and broken glass. glass on something that she might have like climbed up on. She is agile. Um, she used to be an acrobat mm-hmm. um, in her previous life. Um, we'll get to there. And she is just very agile and can get into, out of anything in a flip, in a twirl, and land in first position. Like, mm-hmm. she is she is beauty. She is grace. Yes, she will punch you in your face. Well, that's so. good. That's a perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that worked out well. But <laughs> So she's like, she's just made it second nature to spy on people. Because that's, like, what she's good at. And so she's spying on Kaz, too. Like, he's not exempt from that. And she even says that she has, like, a, a, like a moral confliction moment. But then reasons to herself, you couldn't train a falcon and then expect it not to hunt. Oh, so like, good. Oh, my gosh. And so Kaz goes so into... I know. So Kaz goes into Haskell's office and is basically like, yeah, I did that. You're welcome, I guess. I guess I should have asked you, but whatever. And Haskell, you know, for the sake of appearances, has to kind of puff up and be like, you should have gotten my permission, boy, and blah, blah, blah. And Kaz tries to convince them, like, oh, if you and I had talked, you know, then word would have gotten out, maybe, and all of that. And Haskell kind of takes offense at that and is like, oh, you think that, that would I would let that happen? And Kaz lifts his shoulders and says... <laughs> If this place is like anything in Ketterdam, it leaks. And then Inej says, Inej could have sworn he looked directly at the vent when he said it. They can sense each other's problems yes, and say no. Literally, like he's not going to call her on it, but he's like, I don't I think, don't... you know, I trained the Falcon. Yeah. I know where it sits. Like, stuff like that. And so they kind of go back and forth, and there's this implicit understanding that, that this is a formality for both of them, that he has to report to him in order to move on with his life. But then he's like, hey, I've got a big score coming in. You're going to need somebody to take my place for a little bit. And Inej is kind of surprised by this, like, what? And then he's like, yeah, I want, um, what's the guy's name? I want Pim to be the mm-hmm. one who picks up the slack while I'm gone. And Inej is like, where is he going? Not that he tells me stuff, but why didn't he tell me? And she's also kind of hurt a little bit. Like, really, Pim? I'm smarter than Pim. Why didn't he trust me to take over things while he's gone? And her father's voice is like a common theme, like in her internal narrative. Whenever she feels like she's diverging more from the moral she was brought up with, it's her father's voice that she hears in her head saying things. And so he's like, oh, so eager to be the queen of thieves, Inej. And this is where, like, it comes to, like, she does her job. She does it well. She doesn't want to want to do her job well. Because mm-hmm. she's, she's working yeah. towards... She's, she's The jobs that she does, she's building a tunnel to get herself out. She is, like, very steadfast in her faith and in her moral compass. It always points north. And when it starts to diverge a little bit, she gets that, again, internal monologue with her dad. And she kind of questions everything. Mm-hmm. And even though it's clear she very much cares for Kaz and might love him, could love him in another life, um, it it bothers her to do these things because mm-hmm. she is using her faith as yes. a guidance for her morality in her life. And that'll be a consistent thing with mm-hmm. Inej, where she battles within herself do I uphold my morals or do I uphold the people I love? Or is there a way for those things to coexist? And that's something she'll have to grapple with throughout the series. And this is where we learn that Inej was previously mm-hmm. in a brothel 
Mm-hmm. And had been for quite some time. Um, so, like, we get that she's 17 now, and she's only been out of the brothel for two years. So she was there as a very young teenager. And um, you'll get the sense we have kind of briefly, or actually I don't think it's been mentioned yet. Everybody in Ketterdam has tattoos for their allegiance mm-hmm. and slash or where they're indentured to. So she was at the brothel called the Menagerie, and the Menagerie symbol was a feather. On And the, most of these are on the inside of the left forearm, which I actually have an inside left forearm tattoo. It's of a spoon. Um, spoon clan for life. But... <laughs> That's what you stir the dregs with. Is your spoon. Ah. Um, <laughs> I was like, hey, wait a minute. Oh Same hat. Um, oh, speaking of hats, Kaz lost his hat when uh, Hode jumped him. That'll be important here in a minute. <laughs> but she had, she actually, when her, um, when Kaz convinced Haskell to buy her indenture from the menagerie, so she didn't have to do that work anymore, she like burned off the menagerie tattoo and so like she she's really self-conscious about it it's a time of her life that while she had no agency in it she is shameful about but also, she shouldn't have been yes but but also kaz didn't make her get no tattoo of the crow yes that all the dregs have yeah she didn't have to get that but she's still a, a member mm-hmm. so she wears long sleeves she wears like a sheath of knives on that spot Good for her. but she's conscious of it all mm-hmm. the time and so he hears her, she hears him leave, and she goes to take her spot at the top of the stairs because she knows that's where he's going next. And he passes her, and he's like, he asks, he confirms that she fired the card dealer. And she's like, yep, it's done. And he's like, um, did he put up much of a fight? And she's like, oh, nothing I couldn't handle. And this is something I say all the time. I'm like, that's not what I asked. And so she's like, oh, he's angry. He might come looking for trouble. And Kaz is like, oh, there's no shortage of that. And then he heads to his office. But again, even with that, with the, that's not what I asked, um, Mm -hmm. and the fact that he didn't make her get a crow's tattoo, which I think is actually mentioned later. Yeah. But we might as well mention it now because she doesn't. Yeah. Just like little sprinklings of (laughs) how much he cares for her. Yes. He got her out of, I mean, she does, she's not in the ideal situation, but in the menagerie it was worse. So he gave her a slightly, I mean, I'm going to say a better situation, not slightly better. It is a better situation. Situation. Um, And he got her out of there not just because of the work she could do, because she Mm -hmm. was skilled, but because he he, he believes that no one should live like that, that no one should have to do what she had to to do. do So, you know, like back and forth. He he has so much trauma um, and Mm. has had to build up a wall and... um, uh, hardness to him but with Inez you see it break down a little bit that was me hitting yes. hitting the back of this <laughs> oh. um, his love language is acts of service it's definitely not physical touch <laughs> <laughs> or gift giving he's he's very stingy um sometimes but so <laughs> it's not words of affirmation either because he called Inez oh my gosh we'll get there oh we'll get there um but it's worth noting that the attic the top floor of the slats that's kaz's domain that's his office that's his bedroom and he has a bad leg and we'll find out much later what happened to his again so much worse than you think yes but also that one was actually not not as bad as i thought which made it almost 
more interesting. Yeah. I don't want to say better in regards to somebody having mm-hmm. a bum leg, but also whatever. So it's it's agony for him to like make his way with his leg and his cane up the many flights of stairs mm-hmm. to the top. But he, it's kind of like a badge of pride for him that he like with the accommodations he has to make for himself that his room is in the top and he gets all the space and he likes having a floor to himself. So he keeps the ledger and this is where we get, and we've kind of gotten clues to this so far, but this is when we're, where we discover that Kaz has a photographic memory and it's like perfect. So he only keeps ledger so that he can have a record to point to when he knows people are cheating him. And if Haskell ever asks about the books, he has something physical, but Inej knows it's all in his head and he just has to look at it once to memorize it. So he had like the plans of all of the major merchant council members, like their house layouts memorized. He has the ledgers memorized. He balances the books in his head, which is crazy. So if he would have been a teenager, like in today's society, he would have been a national merit scholar (laughs) (laughs) and had his choice probably would have done maybe engineering. Um, Maybe. Or marketing or management. Double major. Venture capitalism. Mm. Um, but he he's incredibly intelligent, is the point. And so he, he also has this... Like, Sorry, I went off. No, you're, no, you're so good. No, <laughs> that wasn't a dick, I promise. <laughs> he, he would have been... Double major? He would have been a triple major. <laughs> he would have been in the Honors College at his university. Yes, he would Sorry, my brain is broken. So um, he's also a master of like spin. Like he knows that like one on one, he's not the like the most effective socially. That's Jesper's role. But he also plants and encourages these rumors. And Inej is like, um, she could never be sure which of the stories about him were true and which rumors he'd planted to serve his own ends. Like they could, like he told Vanek, they could all be true. And then we see why he told Haskell he recommended Pam to Haskell instead of Inej because he wants her in on the job. And he tells her this isn't an assignment. You don't have to do this. This is a job where like you can choose whether to accept it or not. But it's going to be crazy. If we manage to, ma- to make it, we are going to be kings and queens. And you will get four million Kruger, like, And that'll pay off her you. indenture. Mm-hmm. And so she'll be able to be free, basically. And she's just like, hmm, like pretending to like look at her knives and like trying not to be like, like, and this is where we get the first like, not even hinting, just in my margins at this point on page 66, I literally wrote, oh girl, because <laughs> she's like having, like she has to remind herself like, cause he's like grinning and like when he grins, he looks his age, like a 17 year old boy. And she's like, this is not some giddy boy making plans to run away with me. He is dangerous. And he's always working an angle. Always. What she doesn't know is that angle is to always keep her safe and well kept (laughs) and all of that. She doesn't know that. And then he full on starts just taking his clothes off. He takes off his his vest. Because remember, they do kind of dress like Peaky Blinders for real. He takes off his vest. He takes off his shirt. And she's like... I don't know if I'm flattered or if I'm mad that you don't even care that I'm here and you're just stripping it down. And so she's trying to keep it all business. Like, okay, well, what's the job? How long will we be gone? What's going on? But she's also like looking at him a little bit and see, he's like a little glance. He's like ripped. He's got scars. And this is where we see the dregs tattoo, which is a crow and a cup. And it's on the inside of his left forearm. And then above it, this enigmatic black R on his bicep. 
and she never has asked him what he's meant and he's never volunteered that information the last thing that he takes off are his gloves and i love that she that bardugo uses the word shucked because it's such a good mm-hmm. he shucked off his leather gloves and he has a wash basin and he dips a cloth in and just starts like washing his hands he washes his arms down he washes his chest and stuff and 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 i was just thinking like hmm, you're really ripped <laughs> and she's like he has slender lock picking fingers and she's like and he's telling her like we'll be gone for a long time maybe as long as a month all this and she's like uh he's saying all this while he's continuing to like wipe himself down a little bit because he was roughed up and um she literally thinks to herself for saint's sake and she's like blushing really hard (laughs) and it's like she's admitting you know she spent time at the menagerie this is not the first time she's seen somebody in a state of undress but she's still kind of like oh my gosh well but those weren't her it's choice. different those yes. weren't her choice and this is someone that she actually knows exactly also really quick um the way his smile is described it's so mm-hmm. well it says he grinned at her his smile sudden and jarring as a thunderclap his eyes the near black of bitter coffee that is such Ugh. a good description just so good like you can just picture it just so good Oh. snaps and then she's like what if like i also took my clothes off and just started washing in front of him and she's like no no no, don't think like that but then she's like he'd probably tell me not to drip on his desk <laughs> and she's just like so upset and then back to reality <laughs> and then and then he's like yeah so well and she's like wait a second you said a month that's a long time to be gone and um He's like, yeah, it's it's a gamble for sure. Speaking of which, I'm going to need, and like starts listening off the team. And he says, and I'll need Wylan. We love Wylan. So another, when they released the casting for Wylan, I was like, ah! Which we have, season two is going to come out in 2023, so and we are soon. waiting for it. Um, but when they announced the casting for Wylan, Jordan and I, I think we texted each other, sent like each other TikToks, and sent each other Instagram posts, and we're like, do you the perfect it's casting literally perfect perfect casting just incredible but we'll meet wylan later mm-hmm. but he says and i'll need wylan and she's like immediately hesitation has hesitations like this is a big job do we really need wylan and he cuts her off and is like did i ask did i stutter basically did I and then stutter? she's did like not. she's like one minute he made her blush and the next he made her want to commit murder which is how you know you like somebody and then she, she's like, well, you just kept me in the dark about all of this other stuff with Bollinger. Are you going to explain any of this? And he's like, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's too sensitive. It's too sensitive. Um, but and that's when he tells her, like, by the way, this isn't an assignment. This is an extracurricular. This is a job. So you can choose to take it if you want. And so she's thinking, like, what is making this job so different? I'm so confused. What because does he, he know that I don't know? he always tells her what to do do not yeah. like tells her what he to gives do, her assignments but, and she does mm-hmm. them but he's never really she's never had a choice to say no um mm-hmm. it's always been implied like mm-hmm. and you're gonna do this because yes. you're paying off your indenture mm-hmm. and then um he's getting he's putting on new clothes and everything and as he's doing so he tosses her a little something something <laughs> and it flashes in the air she catches it on instinct and opens it up and it's the pin that Van Eck was wearing that has his house crest on it. Which is so good because during the chapter, you don't get any You sense. don't even know. It's not even, you have no idea. 
Not a clue. When did he get close enough to do that? Like, there were moments, but it's just not even mentioned at all. And she's like, who, where did this come from? What am I supposed to do with it? And he's like, eh, sell it. I don't care. And he, she's like, where did it, where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Er, that's what you just said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, er, she asks, whose was it? And he just doesn't answer. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it, it's like, he says, from someone who should have thought better before he had me jumped. And she's like, had you what i'm sorry because with his reputation he's the monster he's the bastard of the barrel nobody touches him and if somebody's able to mess with him it means they're able to mess with her and he knows that because he immediately says like she doesn't say like oh how could you she just says someone got the drop on you like surprised Mm -hmm. and he immediately says it's never gonna happen again because he knows that anything happening to him is a threat to her safety. Because if there's any chinks in his reputation, it trickles down to her. And he won't abide that. Which again is like... Mm. It is so clear Ugh. that they have feelings for it's each so other. It's so clear. It is so clear. And you just like... Oh. And then he admits that he stole that painting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, hey, while we're at it, also move that painting somewhere else. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, and by the way, and like, he immediately transcends from like friend mode to secretary mode. Yeah. And he's like, sell this, move that, and I need a new hat. And she's like, uh, please, can you get me a new hat? And then he says, please, my darling Inej, treasure of my heart, won't you do the, me the honor of acquiring me a new hat? And she, that makes her mad. And so like his offices are on the very, very top floor of the slat. And it's really, it's, it's going to be like. Homeboy doesn't even have Advil. And he has to make it all the way down these stairs with a bad, with chronic pain leg. And so she's like, have a long trip down. And then, like, acrobats away. <laughs> like, like, super easily. down it. But also, we know that it's meant, like, sarcastically when he says, my darling I Nash. know. But also, I think he he's, he's really wants to I'm say. like this, too. I use sarcasm to cover up my real feelings. So I'll say something with all sincerity, but I'll say it like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't sound sincere. So I share that with him. But see, I wonder if he, let's just say, for argument's sake, he did say it sincerely. Would she have been like... She wouldn't have clocked it as sincerity. She would have been like, that bastard. (laughs) He's so mean to me. (laughs) But if they would just, you know, again, they have a lot of trauma to overcome and we'll get to those parts. And they're only 17 and they have have lived more lifetimes than they, they any child through needs so to. much. All of these children have been through so much. But oh my gosh, let's have a conversation. Please. So and that's chapter four. <laughs> so at this point we have met um Kaz, oh, Jesper, and Inej of the Crows and we've been introduced to Wylan. Um and now we are on chapter five and it is um it's from Kaz's point of view. And so right now, Kaz was following um, East Stave toward the harbor, um, which is through the beginnings of the Barrels Gambling District. Um, and this this chapter is a lot of description of what of what Ketterdam, the different parts mm-hmm. of Ketterdam, looks like. And so it's a lot of description. Really, the areas over the top. Um, imagine casino. You know the yes. bright colors, bright lights. It's very mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Yes. Ish. Each one has um, different themes, so you know mm-hmm. each one who goes to which one, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so he is um, watching people go in and out of the Crow Club, and you can tell it's the Crow Club because shocking, it has a crow that spreads its wings. <laughs> no way. Over the entrance. <laughs> 
Um, and so he's walking. They describe some of the other shops. Um, and uh, there's only... He says... While, while it mentions the names of the other ones, mm-hmm. it says there's only one other gambling den on the stave that mattered to him. And that is the Emerald Palace, which is Pekka Rollins's pride and joy. Mm-hmm. So you're like, who's Pekka Rollins? Um, so <laughs> we don't... We'll, we'll get there. Um, but Pekka Rollins' um, uh, Emerald Palace is kind of an homage to his heritage, his Kalish heritage, and his mm-hmm. gang is called the Dime Lions. This is not the last time we will hear about them. No. And so uh, even the girls working at the counters were green um, and had their hair tinted, like, reddish. Yeah. Um, the Wandering Isle is, like, Irish, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, except... I feel like Ireland is a lot nicer. Than, Ireland is a lot nicer. I, I just hope Irish people are a lot nicer than Pecker Rollins. So. Yeah, I wouldn't say Pecker Rollins is a type specimen for that. No, um, but description is, like, Irish. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, the people who work at the Emerald Palace are, like, a stereotypical... Yeah. Almost caricature. No, that's, that's mm-hmm. so good. Everything, like, on this kind of strip... Yes. Of Ketterdam is like, it's made to be caricature and stereotypes mm-hmm. because it's meant to fleece tourists. Yeah. So stereotypes, not, not great. Um, so as Kaz passed the Emerald Palace, um, he oh, looked yes. up and it just says he let the anger come at him. And mm-hmm. he needed it that night as a reminder of what he'd lost and of what he stood to gain. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly... Oh, why did I? <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, he has a past with Pekka Rollins, and we just don't quite know what we it is. We don't know yet. Um, but he mutters to himself, brick, brick. by brick, and brecker by brecker. <laughs> <laughs> he launches his peanut brittle band, brickle by brecker. <laughs> Um, uh, it, this is serious. He's no, it really is. Upset. This is actually really a really upset. cool moment. Um, and brick by brick, brick by brick, and that is like his mantra. Um, and it's the prom. He says that it's a, well in his inner monologue. Mm-hmm. It's a promise that lets him sleep at night, that has driven him every day, and that keeps Jordy's ghost at bay because a quick death is too good for Pekka Rollins. Every single thing that Kaz does, every single thing Mm -hmm. comes back to this brick by brick the dismantling of a single man's life Mm -hmm. and so we don't we still don't really know who jordy is but clearly pekka rollins has something to do with jordy's death Mm -hmm. um and jordy means a lot to kaz Mm -hmm. and kaz is has spent his life and he's only 17 he's only 17 has spent his life um, trying, building it up in order to take down Pekka Rollins, mm-hmm. which, oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, and so he, uh, is watching the, the Emerald Palace and then he sees two, um, two customers, um, in and out of, or he sees people come in and out of, of the Emerald Palace doors and then there's some people outside who are like, oh, I just got back from the Crow Club. I, I got so much money in this much time. Mm-hmm. And he's watching them. And he hired them um, to there's, be outside yes. of the Emerald Palace to... They're paid actors. Yes. <laughs> Honestly. 
to lure Pekka's clients away. So tiny little things. Um, and it says, um, the book says, it was one of the infinite tiny ways he'd found to make himself strong at Pekka's expense. Mm-hmm. So he's intercepted shipments of Jurda, so not the bad stuff, just the stimulant. Mm-hmm. Charging him fees for access to the Fifth Harbor, undercutting his rents to keep his properties free of tenants, and slowly, slowly tugging at the threads that made up his life. So he is, again, very calculated in this planning, but he's doing all these little things that individually might not make a huge difference, but together are a pretty big nuisance to Pekka's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just slowly infiltrating. It's like the roots infiltrating a foundation. Yes. Slowly, oh my gosh, slowly, yes. slowly. And then so good. wanting to, and, wanting it to just crumble. And then all at once the house falls into a sinkhole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we get a little bit of a backstory mm-hmm. on, on Kaz. So a, one of his um, nicknames is the Bastard of the Barrel. And so despite that, he wasn't a bastard. He wasn't even from Ketterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says that when he was nine and Jordy was 13, they'd arrived in the city and they had a check from the sale of their father's farm um, in the inner pocket of Jordy's old coat. So Jordy was Kaz's brother and it's mm-hmm. clear he's not with us or with them anymore. Not alive. Yeah. Um, I didn't know a better way to say that. <laughs> um, and so they were literal children i mean he's still a child but he's he was nine when he Mm -hmm. came to ketterdam with his brother no parents um and they had a check and um it says kaz could see himself as he was then um and he'd hated the boys they'd been two stupid pigeons waiting to be plucked because they're children they are naive yes um and he's having this guilt spiral of mm -hmm. what could we have done that would have changed things when he was literally nine years old and so it's it's easier for him to think that he had agency in the situation mm-hmm. than it is to admit that he and his brother were victims to a, a harsh system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he continues, one day Rollins would come to Kaz on his knees begging for help. Um, and then brick by brick, I will destroy you. So deep, deep-seated hatred for Pekka Rollins. Yeah. Kaz blames him for his brother's death we get that we don't know what happened um but obviously they were young because yes it says that the first time kaz was arrested he was 10 he hasn't been arrested since he was 14 jordy was 13 kaz was nine when they came to ketterdam we don't know the the timeline yet but they were children very young and it also knows like this is a life-altering never have to work again we're set score that van Mm -hmm. eck has promised them if they can pull this off and to Kaz, it's step one. Mm-hmm. He's he's thinking this is my way to get back at mm-hmm. Pekka quicker. Um, so he continues to walk out of um, the East Stave into West Stave. Um, and this, again, lots of tourists in this area. It says the canal choked with men and women of every class and country seeking diversion. So again, a little bit like Vegas, people mm-hmm. of all different walks of life. Um, looking for different things. Um, mm-hmm. And then in this part of the barrel, a lot of people like to come in disguise. So they might wear masks, mm-hmm. veils, um, capes, you know. Everyone's looking for something different. Um, so in, in this part of the barrel, people come in disguise looking for different things. Maybe it is um, a, a gambling house or a, as they call it in the book, a pleasure house. Um, so they brought, bring, people bring their costumes. They might be there for a day a week, um, as long as they have the money for. Mm-hmm. Um, and some common 
characters they dress up as are Mr. Crimson, the Lost Bride, um, or the Jackals. And so when he sees the Jackal's mask, it flashes back to a convo, a conversation with Inej. And when Inej had first seen the Jackal masks, um, she couldn't contain how, how upset she was mm-hmm. at it because she said that real Suli fortune tellers are rare. They're holy men and women. And these masks that are handed around like party favors are sacred symbols. Um, and so it, mm-hmm. it's having to do with her religion again, deeply, um, it guide her religion guides her in, yeah. in her life. And, um, and it's been sensationalized mm-hmm. and appropriated and on Kaz, this part of the city. Mm-hmm. And Kaz games. makes fun of it. <laughs> I know. Because he just can't take it seriously, um, which is not great. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, I've seen them. They don't seem very holy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, the culture that you've created here is mean that they're literally... Mm-hmm. This is going to sound crass, but it's true. For lack of a better word, pimping themselves out Mm -hmm. because they have to to make a living. And she's like, for you and your ilk. And he's like, my ilk. And like she calls, there's a Suli word for it, uh, shavrati, which is kind of like the Jewish like goyim, like Mm -hmm. non-believers. And then he crosses a line. Uh, Because she brings up fate, and she says, fate Mm -hmm. has plans for us all, Kaz. And he crosses a major line. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, Sticks his foot in his mouth. Like, bro. Like, shut up. Um, And he says, was it fate that took you from your family and stuck you in a pleasure house in Ketterdam, or was it very bad luck? And she says, I'm not sure yet. So Mm -hmm. he he knows. He messed up. That was was not good. It was not a good situation. Um, And he's like, she must hate me. Benejo. (laughs) Like... Dumbass. I know. He is. He is. He's like, wow, she must hate me. Why'd I say that? Because he, for someone so calculated, mm-hmm. when it comes to Inej, he has very little impulse control. Well. And he just, very little verbal impulse control. And he just says whatever comes into his head. Well, no, I'm saying, like, obviously he's, he had, it's a, he has different feelings for her than he has for anyone else. Yes. Um, and I think it's like that, that like paradoxical like because i care about you so much i can be myself with you and that means i'm not thinking things through or being as careful about what i should say if as i would otherwise so i'm gonna say some stupid shit again i say benejo <laughs> <laughs> um so we're continuing on kaz is going through the crowd um and he he starts to describe the or the book describes the major pleasure houses and that each one has a specialty some are more mm-hmm. obvious than others so he passed the blue iris the bandy cat um the forge the obscura the willow switch um house of the snow and of course the menagerie mm. um known as the house of the exotics and this is where Inej had been forced to put on fake suli silks mm-hmm. um part of her culture they made her put on fake silk costume as a costume and then he sees Tanta Helene, um, who is the owner mm-hmm. of of the menagerie. Mm-hmm. And he sees her in her peacock feathers and her famous diamond choker, um, whole, like, entertaining people in the parlor. Mm-hmm. And so she runs the menagerie. She's the one who gets the girls and made sure they behaved. And so mm-hmm. making sure they behaved, she essentially owns these girls. Mm-hmm. Abuses them. Abuses them. Yeah. Not and abuses them outside of the sexual abuse that they are facing at the menagerie because they don't have a choice. No, yeah. Honestly. So not great. She's the worst kind of person. Mm -hmm. Um and she sees Kaz. It says that her lips 
thinned to a sour line. She lifted her glass. and It was more of a threat than a toast. And he just ignored her. He's like, I don't have the time of day for you. Go away. But he has... He has a he has a very deep seated hatred for Pecker Rollins. No one is ever going to top the hatred that he feels for Pecker Rollins. But he also has a very strong hate for but Tonto Helene. Helene is a close second. Yeah, because of the way she treats innocence, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and then we come up on the House of the White Rose, and it's described as one of the more luxurious establishments on the West Dave. It had its own dock, has gleaming white stone facade, um, and it looks less like a pleasure house and more like a merchant's mansion um and it has um white roses all around clearly house of the white rose um and it it's on it's described as like a fake perfumey smell mm-hmm. of the white roses um and so kaz goes in um and uh the boy at the front is says mr brecker the boy said nina is with a client so he knows the boy at the front knows who kaz is looking for he's looking for nina Mm -hmm. and so um kaz just nods and knows where nina is so he goes down a hallway goes up to find where her room is um and it says that her room was on the third floor so again poor guy he's climbing stairs he's yeah all the time he's having a hard time today um he is getting his steps in (laughs) um and uh, the door to the room beside her, Nina's room was open and unoccupied, so Cass slipped in and put his face to the wall, which in any other scenario would have been ick because, remember, this is a brothel mm-hmm. and that's icky, but Nina does not do that. Um, uh, so we then see it's described what Kaz has seen, and so it says a little bald man was seated fully clothed at a round <laughs> table, um, and his hands were neatly folded Um beside an untouched silver coffee tray and Nina Zenick stood behind him. And so Nina Zenick is number five for mm-hmm. our crows. Um, and she has a red silk kefta on that advertises her status as a Grisha heart render. So she's a corporalki mm-hmm. um, in a red kefta and she is part of this. She works in this brothel, but not as what you would typically. Yeah, not as a sex worker. Yes. I didn't know how to put that correctly. I gotcha. Um, uh, and so she uses her powers um, instead, uh, which it's described on the next page. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll we'll get that there. description. Yeah. Um, but I love the way they describe how she looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, Nina, she was tall and built like the figurehead of a ship carved by a generous hand. So it's clear that she's beautiful, Mm -hmm. she's tall, and she is curvy, Mm -hmm. which we love. Um, And so she is helping this man, um, and it also says that... Sorry, I'm losing my place. Um, So um, they're in this room, and it's described that there's not even a bed in the room, Mm -hmm. just a narrow settee where Nina would sleep, um... And when Kaz asked her why why she doesn't have a bed, she said that she doesn't want anyone getting any ideas. So mm-hmm. she works in, in this pleasure house, but it's not a sex worker. Um, and they kind of go back and forth, and Nina teases him, and it's described that Nina just liked to flirt with everything. Yeah, she's just a flirt. Um, she's very much a people, people person mm-hmm. <laughs> and loves everyone and likes to flirt with everyone. Um, and so she, with the guy who is in her room, she puts, um, uh, her hand, where is it? 
I don't know. Um, she did something um, and calmed him down, essentially. And mm-hmm. so the old man leaves, and Kaz goes to her door and knocks on the room, and she opens it very hesitantly. Um, and she says, oh, you. <laughs> and she's not super happy to see him. Which, which who is? No one ever really is, except Inej, but mm-hmm. even then, she's, like, conflicted about yes. her feelings. We got a lot to work through. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... So, as he comes in the room, uh, she says, saints, I hate this thing. So, saints, saying saints is, is like saying, is, is swearing, Yeah, basically. Um, and she takes her kefta off and says, I hate this thing. Kaz is like, what's wrong with it? She says, it isn't made right and it itches. So, the kefta that she's wearing is not Ravkin. Um, and Nina is Ravkin. She's from Ravka. She's a Grisha. She was trained, um, mm-hmm. at the little palace, um, but now she's here, and we'll find out why later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she never wears it outside of of the white rose, and she is a member of the dregs. Uh, <coughs> bless you, Ooh, thank you. Uh, she is a member of the dregs, and so her membership in the dregs means that anyone who would do anything against her um, risks getting back like risk retribution. Yes, ret- retribution. So much better with words. Um, from the dregs so no one really messes with her um and so she gets herself comfortable she starts eating and Kaz is like you have crumbs on your cleavage she's like I don't care um (laughs) she's hungry and loves to eat and you know what so do I so honestly same we love that for her um but oh here we go so Mm -hmm. Nina didn't need a bed because she specializes in emotion so as a corporal Mm he um she can slow heartbeats, ease breathing, relax muscles, so she can really calm people down. Um, and she has uh, basic, t- basic tailoring skills. So like Jenya, um, she can change little things like get rid of some wrinkles of people. So she has a little bit of a um, side gig there, which good for her. We love that. Love mm-hmm. a little side gig. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so she, again, specializes in calming people. Um, and so they kind of have a conversation a little bit, um, not too much. They just talk about her powers and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Um, so then Kaz. He, he also mentions just really quickly, mm-hmm. like that he, um, he clocks how quickly she goes. Cause like when she's with the bald guy, she's like, go at peace, be free. And then as soon as it's just her and Kaz, she's like, I'm gonna eat cake. Yeah. And he's like. She missed her true calling as an actress. Because her ability to adapt and change <laughs> mm-hmm. herself to situations is uncanny. And that's important. Which will come up later. Yeah. Um, and so while they're talking, Kaz asks her, could you for could you have that man forget his wife? Because his wife died and that's why he's been coming to see Nina to like ease his pain. Um, and Nina's like, alter the pathways in his mind. No, can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kaz is like, well, <laughs> can you? Because he has seen it. You know, the prem. Um, and so, um, as they're going, um, they are still talking, um, and she, um, oh my gosh, gosh dang it. Oh, she asked him, when are you going to stop darkening, um, darkening my door? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and she's like, well, does, perhaps we'll, is, if he's going to forgive my debt? And he's like, No. Um, so they, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm losing my place. You're so good. Um, he's asking her, like, if she knows anything about Jurita Perim. Oh, yeah. 
And she says that there are rumors, but it sounds like nonsense. And Cass tells her that it's not just rumors. Mm-hmm. She's like, squalor's flying? Really? Really? He's like, actually, um, Fabricator's making gold from lead. And so he reaches into his pocket and pulls out the lump of gold that Van Eck had. So he yes. stole that too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she doesn't believe that it's real. Um, and that's like a basic alchemical, um, that's like the the central dogma of alchemy is the ability to turn one thing into another. And the type example for that is always led to gold. And that was a whole thing like in classical like Greek philosophy mm-hmm. and thought is like, if we can master turning one thing into another thing, then we've cracked the code of the universe. And so like in like alchemy, that's a huge thing. And like, no, of course it's impossible. But like mm-hmm. that, a fabricator did it like easily, Easy. probably without even touching it, mm-hmm. is crazy. And so Kaz tells her that Jerda Parem is real, um, and he he's kind of being a little bit of an ass right here. He is. He's like, if you're the good little gracious soldier that I think you are, you'll want to hear what it does to people like you. Because he knows how he knows. Like, he tells Inej, like, when he's recruiting her to this job, mm-hmm. it's not an assignment, it's a job, you can take it or leave it, I want you in on it. Because he knows that her agency to choose this is critical to her choosing mm-hmm. it, and he wants her to come with her. Why For Nina, and that's, that's like, um, that's like, that's like uh, it's manipulation. like manipulation and not. Yeah. But for Nina, he knows a thing about Nina is she's really patriotic. Mm-hmm. And so he's like. She loves and misses her home country of Ravka. Yes. And so she, so he's like, you know, if you care about your country, Ravka has like the biggest population of Grisha that we know of. Mm-hmm. So this would be pretty bad. And you should help. Yeah. And so he tells her a little bit, but doesn't tell her specifics. Um, but mm-hmm. he did tell her about Bo Yol um, and Jerda Parem and the addictive properties of the drug. And he put a specific emphasis on the recent theft of mm-hmm. uh, Ravkin military documents. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, if this is true, then, then Bo Yol Bayer needs, needs to be killed. And yes. he's like, that's not the job. Yes. She says, this isn't about money. And it he makes, says, it is always it about money. It makes me think about the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> not always about the money, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, and so then he tells her. He's it, like, blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yes, it is. But tells her that if they are going to get him, that he needs a corporal, corporal key. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants her on, on the crew. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, wherever he's hiding out, um, my answer is no. Like, that's mm-hmm. just irresponsible. And mm-hmm. then Kaz says, he isn't hiding out. The Fjordans have him at the ice court. And it says she and paused. She's, she's like, st- she stills. Like, hmm. mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, he's as good as dead. And she says, and Kaz tells her that actually, no, he's not. Um, they have good intelligence that he is alive. Um, mm-hmm. So if someone has to break him out, like, why shouldn't it be us? And Nina repeats the ice court. Mm-hmm. And she's starting to put the pieces together and says, you don't just need a corporal key, do you? Or cor- corporal Nick. Um, I say mm-hmm. corporal key. I feel like those are... I think they're interchangeable. Yeah. They're both plurals. Yeah. Um, she says, you don't just need a corporal key, do you? And he says, no, I need someone who knows the ice court in and out. And so when he says that, she jumps she's to like, her feet. You're little shit. <laughs> <laughs> You wicked bitch, witch. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> um, and so she jumps to her feet and she starts pacing. And, and she's immediately, like, upset. She's panicking, almost. Um, and she tells him, she's like, how many times have I come to you begging you to help Matthias? And now that you want something, 
he's like, I'm not running a charity. Prohaska isn't running a charity. Mm-hmm. And she's like, if you wanted to help me, you know you could have. And he says, why would I do that? I've never done anything for nothing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, I guess. Um, and then he tells her, he asks her, do you know how many favors I would have had to call in? How many mm-hmm. bribes I would have had to get Matthias Helvar out of prison? The price was too high. And she's like, well, what's changed? And he yep. says, now Helvar's freedom is worth something. And she's like, it was always worth something to me, is like and what she's going to no, no, say. No. And he said, no, no, no. Now it's worth something to me. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, she tells him, even if you could get get to Matthias and get him out, he would never agree to help you. And he's like, it's just a question of, of leverage, Nina. Everybody um, has an angle. Everyone some everyone has something that will change them. His is honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't bribe him, but honor will, will bring him. And um, she asks him, or he tells her, that a lot has changed in a year. And so we don't really know where he is. No. But then... She's like, you've seen him? Yeah. And she... She's... Your heart breaks. Because you can yes. tell that she's been wanting... She doesn't... This is why she's here. That's why she's there. It's why she's doing what she's doing. She's like, you've seen him? And then Kaz thinks, well, she still has some hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells Nina that he has seen Matthias. And Nina tells him that he's going to want his revenge. Um, and Kaz tells her that's what he wants, not what he needs. And leverage is all about knowing the difference. And so Ooh. that is the end of chapter, chapter five. five. But we have been introduced to all six of our crows. Matthias yes. Helvar is crow number is six. crow number six. Um, I we're gonna just start off on the first episode <laughs> of saying it. I love Nina and Matthias. Yes. I am obsessed with them. They're the best. <laughs> And I'm very excited to get more into the next few chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a very long episode. <laughs> it, we knew that the first one for yeah. Six of Crows was going to be long. Um, I think maybe the title is Six of Crows because it's kind of evocative of Ocean's Eleven. It's like a word in numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's because like we're building the team. Now we're about to do the heist. I was looking mm-hmm. up the anatomy of a magic trick because it's like it's very similar where you go into like the setup the execution mm-hmm. and the prestige like so you set up the yeah. trick you you put the expectations out there you do the trick and then you one up the trick mm-hmm. and then going back to where we were in this last chapter again Kaz has a plan he knows what drives mm-hmm. everyone he knows what he wants to do and he knows what he has to do to get it and it's going to happen mm-hmm. um which manipulation yes no he's I do doing think, what he has to I do I do think he wasn't intentionally manipulating Inej Yes. I think he he said it to her like that because he wants her to come with him. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, and because he really like values her mm-hmm. opinion as like someone who knows who's like the closest person to him, but he might have maybe unintentionally colored that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and real quick, going back to the show. So again, the things that happen, a few things that happen in Six of Crows, the book happened in the show, mm-hmm. but not a ton. But the character introduction, the show was also done so well. Yes. Kaz walk in, all black, a fedora, his his, his cane, cane smacking on the gambling mm-hmm. table. Jesper tossing up a coin and shooting it, so mm-hmm. you know he's a sharpshooter. Inej sneaking into Kaz's room, and he's like, hello, Inej. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, your window is open. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way Nina is introduced acting, um, she's playing mm-hmm. a role. 
and the way Matthias is introduced, you just, Ugh. oh, you just get his sense of, of duty and honor. And yes. It is so good. And I'm so excited to continue going through this book. Mm-hmm. As you can probably tell, Jordan and I were very that's, excited to That's why to this talk. episode is yes. so long. Yeah, we're very excited. We have been so excited to get to mm-hmm. Six of Crows. Um, so we're excited to continue going over this with y'all. Um, and if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns... Um, or if you are Lee Bardugo and want to say hi, <laughs> um, then please or, do. Or any of the cast, um, we would also love love to say hi to you. Yes. Um, send us an email at two mournerspod at gmail dot com. Uh, two spelled out. Um, mournerspod at gmail dot com. All all good. Um, we would love to hear from y'all. But thanks for listening. And as always, happy, happy heisting. heisting. <laughs> now we get to the heist.